welcome back or if this is your first time here then thank you for joining us this is the doula's guide to dot 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 with me meg also known as the dungaree doula the podcast where we talk about all things pregnancy birth and postpartum we're sharing unbiased information to ensure you go into birth feeling confident in the informed choices you've made for yourself and your babe if you missed the first couple of episodes and would like to know more about me then go and check out episode one for a little introduction and a big chat on hypnobirthing and the following episodes for some great birth preparation this episode is the final one of 2023, which is just mad. Um, how the hell is it Christmas next week? It's blowing my mind a little bit. I'm going to do a Q&A today. I was also going to talk a little bit about being pregnant at Christmas and some of my top tips for making the most of it. But when I came to make some bullet points about this, I was like, you're not stupid, are you? You don't need me telling you to like take care of yourself or anything. But I do just want to remind you that you don't have to take anybody's crap this Christmas. If you've seen awkward family members or anything like that, then you don't need to take their crap. If you see anyone who wants to make comments about your bump size, if they want to tell you horror stories about birth or parenting, you know, there's people who are like, if you think you're tired now, just you wait. Oh my God, I hate that so much. I actually made a post on Instagram recently about the just you wait comment and I'm going to link it in the show notes because you need to read it. If you're pregnant, you need to read my just you wait Instagram post. But there's people who want to belittle your choices, they want to tell you that you need to be induced, you need to take all the drugs, that you're never going to get any sleep, all that stuff. That's, you know the sort of people that I mean. I just want to remind you that you can ignore them, you can smile and nod while not taking on a single word of what they're saying, you can change the conversation, you can walk away, or if you feel like it, tell them to piss off. Don't let anyone scare you or bring you down this Christmas, just try and enjoy it. Try and relax, try and rest, and just think that this time next year, you'll have a teeny tiny squishy little baby to celebrate with. How exciting is that? You'll get to make your own family traditions, you'll get to have a really lovely little time with your baby. So focus on that if anyone starts annoying you. The other Christmas-related thing that I wanted to share is that I asked my followers on Instagram for their top drinks for people who love an alcoholic drink over Christmas, but obviously can't have one when they're pregnant, and I got some really great suggestions, so I thought that I would include that in the podcast, because um, if you're missing a bit of festive boozing, then this might be helpful, so listen up. So first up, mulled wine. Somebody said, even the most disgusting bottle of non-alcoholic red wine is really delicious warmed up. So that sounds like a good tip. Um, I also, I stopped drinking a few months ago. I think I'm like nearly four months in now. So I've been trying different drinks out. And I found in Ikea, I went to Ikea a few weeks ago, that they sell a mulled fruit drink, which is like £2.95. I'm not going to pronounce what it's called, but it's, it says mulled fruit drink on it. It's with all the Christmas stuff. It is delicious warmed up. I think it's actually nice nicer than traditional mulled wine and I love mulled wine but I could just drink bottles and bottles of this so definitely get on that. My lovely friend Christina who's at the birth base so if you don't follow Christina on Instagram um, at the birth base go and follow her she's just the best. She said that the rosé version of no secco is so much nicer than the normal one so no secco is basically alcohol free prosecco obviously but she said the rosé version is so much nicer so I am going to get a bottle of that for Christmas day because I do love Prosecco. <laughs> um, and another lovely follower mentioned that Robinson's Mint and Lime Cordial, and they said the one in the glass bottle with lemonade tastes like a cocktail. I'm guessing they mean like a mojito or something. And I am going to try that as well because I bloody loved mojitos and that sounds delicious. So mixing, yeah, Mint and Lime Cordial with lemonade. And then there were quite a few mentions of non-alcoholic gin tasting exactly like the real thing when mixed with tonic. And I had agree with this. I absolutely loved 
love loved gin and tonic um and all of the alcohol free ones i've tried are great i like the seed lip ones but they're quite expensive but they are nice but honestly the gordon's gin in a tin ones like <laughs> not the classiest drink really are they uh, gin in a tin but the alcohol free gordon's gin in a tin is really really nice and finally my favorite alcohol free drink that i've tried it's called Lies, I want to say. Lies. Maybe that's how you pronounce it. I don't know. This whole accent is not good at pronouncing things. But Lies Italian Spritz. I'll leave it linked in the show notes. It's not like an affiliate thing or an ad or anything like that. I literally just absolutely love it because it's basically non-alcoholic Aperol and is absolutely delicious. If you mix it with lemonade, I know that's not how you make an Aperol Spritz, but if you mix the Italian Spritz with lemonade, it tastes just like an Aperol Spritz and I'm obsessed with it. I originally drank it when I was pregnant in 2020, when I was pregnant with Juniper, and I'm getting more this year. It's so good. I drank a whole bottle of it in Christmas Day, which I know if that was real Aperol Spritz, that would be bad, but because it's not, I didn't feel too bad about it, but it was a lot. <laughs> so nice. I definitely, definitely recommend that. And I'll stop banging on about booze now and actually answer some questions, but I just thought I'd add that bit in there because some of us like to have a drink. I bloody loved having a drink, and the only reason that I've stopped is basically for mental health reasons because um I spoke about this quite a few times on Instagram when I had Juniper my second I had really bad personal depression personal anxiety and panic disorder and luckily like I'm over that now I mean Juno's coming up to two now and everything's mostly fine but I was finding that when I was drinking the next day I would feel back in that space my mental even if I wasn't that hungover I could only maybe have had like three drinks or something and I was quite good at drinking I could drink quite a lot and um, not particularly get trashed or not feel too bad the next day. But the next day, even if I wasn't particularly hungover with the physical side effects, my mental health would just be in that absolute bin. So <laughs> um, it wasn't worth it anymore. So I've stopped drinking and I have found it better. And like hearing all of these drinks that my lovely followers recommended and stuff, I found really helpful. So I thought that you guys might too. Sorry, that was a little bit of a tangent, but I thought that it might be helpful. So the Q&A, I thought it would be nice to do a Q&A. I didn't want to do a really long episode for the final episode of the year. I just wanted to say like some thank yous, talk a little bit about Christmas, but I thought I would answer some questions. Um, so I popped a question box on my Instagram stories and asked if any listeners had any questions for me. Quite a few of them was quite like similar. So I've rounded them up into sort of the four topics that they were about um and hopefully I won't ramble on too long <laughs> so the first thing that I got asked was sort of I got asked a couple of variations of what's the best birth you've attended what's the best thing you've seen when you've been at a birth and stuff like that and honestly like I can't answer this question first of all it absolutely would not be fair to my clients <laughs> to any of my clients listen to this to hear me talking about a birth that's not theirs um but honestly, genuinely, I cannot answer this question. I do not know what the best birth I've attended has been because I've attended births that have gone to plan. I've attended births that have not gone to plan. I've attended inductions. I've attended births that have ended in cesareans. Um, and you would think that probably the best birth would be the ones that went to plan and the worst births would be the ones that ended in unplanned cesareans. But actually, that's not true at all. Um the best births that I've been to are all of the best because they've all I've seen such amazing things at every single birth and I've I work with my clients for so long I work with most of them throughout their pregnancy from quite early on some people hire me from as early as around like 10 weeks so I've been with these people 
for week for months and months and months and months and then I get to see them bringing their baby into the world and it's just absolutely incredible it's just the best job in the world so I wouldn't say that like any birth has been particularly better than the other um because they're just yeah they're just all they're just all amazing and getting to see people being so powerful and bringing their babies into the world these people that you've got to know um, and seeing their partner supporting them and seeing their happiness and their joy and them getting to feed their babies and stuff it's just yeah it's just absolutely wonderful and so I wouldn't say that any birth is particularly better than another some of them have been hard like I said like sometimes things haven't gone to plan sometimes there's been I've been at best where they've ended with forceps and things like that and some of these things can be quite hard to witness sometimes but you you see people's power and you see people's strength and when you go home and you reflect on that you realize that like wow what an amazing job these people did and you just feel so grateful that they took you along for that ride so yeah I can't really answer what the best thing I've seen or the best birth I've been to because genuinely I don't have a favorite one (laughs) I absolutely do I love all of my clients every birth that I've been to I've just absolutely loved being with my clients so yeah, that's a non-answer, I guess. <laughs> but that's the truth. Also, again, I just want to say here that I clearly am ill again. I've actually got COVID right now, which is annoying. I had it last year and it's been... I had it last November and now I've got it again a year later. Um, but, you know, I'm hoping it'll be over before Christmas. We'll be over it. But that's why I sound all a bit... I don't know. My voice sounds a bit mangled. <laughs> So question two, I got a few different questions around induction and I kind of, I bumped this into one thing, but I got a few questions about like, why are induction rates so high? Why do you think inductions are recommended? What do you think of inductions being recommended because Christmas is coming up? And what do you think about inductions for big baby? So I'll just touch on that. We do have sort of an induction epidemic, I guess, in this country, like in some trusts, it's about 40, 50%. So in Leeds, where I am, it's around 40% every single month of labours are induced, which is just absolutely wild when you think about it, because there's no way that 40% of people giving birth in Leeds needed to be induced. Like, you can't tell me that if you'd have left those people, they wouldn't have gone on to have a healthy birth experience and a healthy baby at the end of it. There's, there was, there's obviously, some in some cases, those inductions would have been necessary, but in very, very few, definitely not 40% of people. Why do I think inductions are recommended all the time? I think it's for quite a few reasons. I think a lot of it is because medically managing a birth is a lot easier on the midwives in the current situation that they're in so technically it's not easier for them because we know that when people are induced it takes a lot longer it's a lot more painful people are a lot more likely to have cesareans to have forceps to have epidurals and all of that stuff's a lot harder if you just let a person go into birth by themselves and they have a straightforward labor and they come in go into the midwife for the unit get in the pool and have their baby surely that's a lot easier than all the bullshit that comes with an induction but it's not good for midwives who are chronically understaffed and need to manage their workload so if they've got all these people coming in at a set time it's a lot easier for them and I think that kind of ties into people who are asking about why do I think people are recommended to be induced before Christmas it's so that people can manage their workload around Christmas because they're on short staff over Christmas and bank holidays and stuff so it's easier if they get you in and out before as harsh as that sounds it's just the truth <laughs> that it's like midwives will admit that well some midwives will they probably shouldn't but I've heard midwives saying that I know of a lot of midwives who have said yeah that 
literally is the reason we're trying to manage our workload around Christmas. Um, I also think it's to do with litigation purposes. So recommendations for induction are made on people who have had reduced movements, who have had suspected big baby, suspected small baby, people who have gestational diabetes, people who have IVF, things like that. And that is because the evidence suggests that people with these risk factors, I'm doing like air quotes around risk factors, but you can't see that. Because people who have these risk factors are at higher risk of having adverse outcomes if not induced. But actually what they're not telling you is that the risk of these adverse outcomes for people with these risk factors are generally either based on outdated evidence or they're based on the fact that the risk goes from maybe 1% of an adverse outcome to 3% of an adverse outcome, which still gives you a 97% risk of not having an adverse outcome if you don't get induced. The medical staff don't want a chance letting you go and have your baby and an adverse outcome happening and you suing them, basically. It is about litigation, basically. It's about hospital policy. And again, hospital policy is not the law. A lot of hospital policy is based on outdated evidence or it's not evidence-based at all. And so that is why they're recommending people to be induced for X, Y, or Z reasons. And they're also induction rates are so high because they're not necessarily giving people the risks a lot of the time as well they're just it's not being given to people as a choice so in Leeds they recommend that you get induced at 41 weeks and five days that is because they don't want you to go over 42 weeks and they know that induction takes days they also want you to be induced like I said if you've had reduced movements and things like that Something that I always think is worth thinking about is if you're being recommended to have an induction because you need to have your baby ASAP, why aren't they recommending you have a cesarean? If you need to have your baby ASAP, the only way to get your baby out ASAP is to have a cesarean. If you was to have an induction, you can wait two or three days to find a bed because induction wards are always absolutely bloody packed. If someone's saying to you, you need to be induced immediately, but you'll have to come back in three days because we don't have any beds that's not immediate is it and then once you've got in there you have a stretch and sweep and they give you 12 hours to get that going and then they give you a pessary and they give you another 12 hours to get that going and then they give you a second pessary and they give you another 12 hours to get that going and then you're like four or five days in at this point and nothing's happened and that baby that immediately needed to come out is still not here but it's still absolutely fine so actually do you need to be induced at all probably not if there was an actual emergency you would be recommended to have a cesarean so that's just my opinion on inductions I'm not against them like I said I've supported people being being induced but I think that for people to make decisions around being induced it needs to not be on the fact that you've been told you need one it needs to be on the fact that you've been given the benefits and the risks that you understand every step that you understand how long it will take that you understand it will probably hurt more that you understand that if there was an emergency you'd be having a cesarean, you wouldn't be waiting a week for your baby to be born, and that you need to have looked at what the actual risk is. So it's not enough for someone to say to you, it's too risky to keep your baby in there. They need to say, the actual risk of keeping your baby inside based on, I don't know, maybe the fact you've got a big baby, maybe the fact that you've had some episodes of reduced movement. So you have to say that the actual risk of what the reason we're suggesting you're having an induction goes from this percentage if you don't get induced to this percentage if you do get induced and that it goes from this percentage in a healthy pregnancy to this percentage in whatever has come up in your pregnancy and that's for you to decide it's for nobody else to decide nobody can force you to have an induction 
And then quickly, what do I think about induction for Big Baby is that, I mean, professionally and personally, I think two different things. So professionally, I think that it's your choice. If I had a doula client who was told that they had a big baby, I would go through what all the evidence is. I would give them the pros and cons of having the induction or not having the induction. And I would let them make the decision and I wouldn't try and influence it in any way. And I wouldn't tell them my opinion on it or anything like that. Um, I would happily support a doula client who was choosing to be induced for Big Baby or choosing to decline an induction for Big Baby. So professionally, I would always say that it's your choice. But as this is a Q&A and you've asked me what do I think about induction for Big Baby, personally, I think that it's not warranted. I think that there's just no way of knowing. You cannot know how big a baby is until it's born. We know that scans in the third trimester are up to 15% inaccurate so you could be told that you're having a nine ten pound baby and that baby comes out and they're seven pounds and you've been through a really traumatic induction for absolutely nothing and then on the flip side you could be told that you're having a seven pound baby and your baby could come out and be yeah eight nine ten pound and again nothing happened because of that information because the thing about big babies is that we can birth big babies so even if that scan is accurate even if your baby is nine pound or whatever you can birth a nine pound baby my babies were big my baby both of my babies were almost nine pound I had no idea because I didn't have growth scans actually I had a growth scan no I didn't have a growth scan I had a scan with a juniper at 36 weeks for something completely separate and was told at that appointment that she was measuring small and that she was on the fourth percentile and they were really worried that she was going to be a small baby and then she was like eight and a half pound <laughs> like she was not a small baby they're just so inaccurate but like I said even if you're having a big baby like so what we can birth big babies the majority of us can I know that the worry is that when we birth a big baby they're worried about shoulder dystocia but actually it's more likely statistically to have shoulder dystocia with a really small baby than a large baby and the actual statistics are yeah really small so the vast majority of big babies uh, won't have shoulder dystocia in fact 94% of those who weigh more than four kilograms which is a big baby won't have shoulder dystocia um and only a few babies who have shoulder dystocia will have any sort of serious problems from it it's more likely that your baby will be hanged by the induction by the fact that you're really likely to have things like uh, assisted delivery or a cesarean or a really long labour that can cause distress to the baby to have things like pethidine or fentanyl which is in an epidural and things like that all of these things can affect your baby for what may or may not be a large baby so for me personally I just I do not agree with the induction for big baby card but again that is just my personal opinion it is for you to do the research on I will leave a link in the show notes that's really great about induction for big babies by Dr Sarah Wickham so if this is something that affects you then do go and give it a read but like I said what I've just shared is my opinion and there is a lot more to it and if I was to be supporting somebody professionally I would give them a lot more information than what I've just said I just I have limited time to talk about it <laughs> right now that's kind of like my overview on what I think about inductions and inductions for big baby but again that is personally and if I was supporting someone professionally I have supported someone professionally who's been induced and I do believe that it was the right decision for them because it's what they wanted and they were happy with their decision and I was happy to support that so moving on question three um how do you balance being self-employed slash on call with your family life um 
a bit better now. It used to be I didn't. I didn't balance well at all when I first came off maternity leave with Juniper. Um, I mentioned it earlier as well. I had. I think this played into it that I had such bad personal anxiety and depression and I was really burnt out and I was struggling to parent two and I was like how the hell do you parent two kids this is impossible <laughs> um we did we don't have any family support around either so it was kind of just me and my partner but he was working a lot and I was trying to work and get back into working with clients and teaching hypnobirthing and I had no barriers and I burnt out and I took some time off at the beginning of this year to try and find that balance because things had got too much it was around like my birthday time really around March time because I run a festival as well <laughs> and I run the festival in March and after the festival so the last weekend of March it's on my birthday um I was just like this is this is too much this is ridiculous so I took a little bit of time off because everything kind of came to a head and I got back into things around May time in this year maybe May June around yeah May end of May June time and was just like I need to have set barriers now so we also home educate but my children are not technically compulsory school age I guess my eldest is four and a half so she is now but we're not too stressed about doing sort of formal schooling work yet Um, I don't know if we ever will be really we're kind of a bit unschooly anyway but we'll see how that goes but I, my kids do go to a childcare two days a week so that I can do all the admin stuff, the podcasty stuff, um, visiting clients, antenatally, my postnatal meetings and stuff like that. And then when they do finish that childcare and they do get to compulsory school age, they'll go to a forest school setting um, on one or two days a week as well. So that can carry on. So I try and limit most things to those hours. Occasionally I will do weekend work so sometimes on a Sunday morning I'll teach clients as well for like if I do master classes like three hours I'll do those on a Sunday morning so my partner can spend time with the kids and I teach a lot in the evenings when they're in bed so from half seven till half nine I'll do teaching as well it's a lot when you've been parenting all day and then you spend like two hours doing the bloody nightmare bedtime routine and then you have to teach for another couple of hours and there's not always a lot of time for me but at the minute that's just the way things are just because when you've got small children they are quite demanding of you I do feel like that will ease as they get older because they'll be able to do more things by themselves for instance in the day so if I want like half an hour to sulk away and do some reading or half an hour to go and do some cross stitching or something then I can be like right kids you know like let's do this bit of work you guys do this at the table and I'm gonna sit and I'm gonna do my own crafting project um I'm gonna do some reading or something like that so I do think that it'll get a bit easier as they get older I'm hoping anyway but honestly it's not that bad I, I love being with my kids um most of the time I'm not like one of those crazy people who 100% of the time loves parenting sometimes it's just really hard but I do love being with them that is a big reason of why I want to homeschool them home educate them is because we just have loads of fun together and we do loads of amazing things and I just think I don't want to ship them off to school and never see them I want to be able to experience and learn alongside them um, and I feel like they'll get more from that as well than just being in the schools that are near us but yeah it is it can be hard getting that balance right and I think I did need to put those boundaries up so with clients and stuff I tell clients that on a Wednesday and a Friday I can reply to you quite quickly in the evenings I can reply to you quite quickly but on the days that I'm with my kids you know give me a little bit more time obviously if I'm on call that's different I'll reply to you straight away but yeah clients know that um, my replies are slow unless it's on these set days 
Um, I only reply to emails a couple of nights a week now because um, I used to just have like emails coming through all the time and I'd have to sort of ignore the kids to start replying to emails so I stopped doing that. I just set some boundaries really um, so that's kind of how I balance it and how do I balance being on call? Again I'm incredibly lucky that my partner is self-employed so he can just come and have the kids because yeah we don't have family around so it's not like I can ship them off to like my mum's or my grandma's or anything but yeah um, my partner is a jeweller I'm a doula, really confusing, <laughs> but I can just call him up if I need to go to a bath and he can finish what he's doing and come home. So I don't really ever have to worry about being on call. As long as he's not like on holiday, I can't obviously go on call. So he goes snowboarding, I can't go on call over the time when he might be away snowboarding for a week because like I'd have to take the kids to the bath. That wouldn't be ideal. <laughs> but I'm quite lucky that as long as he's around, I can ring him up and be like, okay, bath time. And he's like, okay, just let me look up the studio. And he comes home and looks after them while I'm away. And normally that's like, it just means that he has to take a day off work and then he can make it up at the weekend or add a couple of hours onto like the next few days at work or something. So it's okay. We make it work. I love it and it's worth it. And I wouldn't, really change anything about it because I know I keep saying it but it really is the best job it's just so lovely I love it and then the last thing I got quite a few questions on what led me to becoming a doula what led me to birth work and I do think that I covered that in the first episode of the podcast I've not actually listened back to that one um <laughs> but I'm pretty sure I did talk about it because I, I know that like a lot of the beginning of the episode is about me and stuff but I'll just quickly recap it that basically it was just my own birth experience I did hypnobirthing with my first daughter the first time I was pregnant I did hypnobirthing and I absolutely loved it and that birth experience was weird because I had on paper like a really easy birth it was like about five hours I had no pain relief I was absolutely fine like I pushed my baby out I had I started breastfeeding straight away, I had a physiological third so it sounds like a really easy positive birth but actually like there were so many factors influencing it from the system that really felt like they were trying to sabotage the experience and I had to use those hypnobirthing skills to like advocate, advocate, advocate and argue, argue, argue throughout basically the entire five hours. I just wanted, because of the power that hypnobirthing had given me, I wanted to spread that to other people. I didn't want other people to be in my position and to end up not knowing that they could fight and not knowing how to, not knowing how to make these decisions. And as I started looking that up, um, I found out about a doula, and I was like, oh my God, if I had a doula there, that would have changed everything. And I was also at this point struggling in my postpartum. I didn't have postpartum depression or anything that this time around, um, not immediately anyway, when I started looking into this stuff. But I had quite a hard postpartum because I was in Leeds and my family were in Hull. And in the end, I actually moved back to Hull for a year. Um, there was a lot of factors that influenced that, but I just struggled a little bit in postpartum and I was like oh a postpartum doula as well would have really helped that and maybe I wouldn't have had to like move cities with a eight week old baby if I'd have known about doulas so that's kind of briefly it but yeah I do think there's more about that in the very first episode so do go and listen to that if you're interested and that's it for this episode um I don't want to like ramble on too much I hope that I didn't when I edit this back I might disagree maybe this is a long episode I'm not quite sure <laughs> I just want to say thank you so so much to everyone who's listened to the Doula's Guide to podcast this year. I say this year, but actually, I mean, I only relaunched in November. I know there was a couple of episodes in August, but then I had so many problems with getting it onto iTunes that I didn't actually fully launch the podcast until November. So it's only really been like a month. Um, but it's growing. It's growing so much. I'm getting lots of messages from people saying they're enjoying it. I can see every day that it's getting tens, twenties, thirties, forty downloads a day now, which is really great. It's really 
growing 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 and I'm really loving doing it so thank you so so much to everyone who's listened and who sent me a message about it and who's enjoying it Um, I'm gonna have a little break over Christmas I'll be back on Friday the 6th of January with an episode on pregnancy and life after birth trauma Um, I know (laughs) what a lovely topic to bring in the new year but it's a really great episode I've already recorded it with Cheryl who is a fellow localist doula to me she's simply natal the healing birth doula and she's great she's chats about all sorts of things so I can't wait for you to hear it I hope you all have an incredible Christmas and new year if you do have any more questions to me then as always come and hang out on Instagram where I'm at the dungaree doula if you want me to get started on your birth preparation then remember I offer a birth prep and hypnobirthing masterclass for just £18.50 which you can download now and work through in your own time because it's all pre-recorded so I'll leave a link to that in the show notes below I also offer hypnobirthing, doula and virtual doula services and information on all of that can be found on my website which is also linked in the show notes. Thank you again for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please do stick around, like, follow and subscribe or leave a little review if you don't mind. That would be really helpful too. Speak soon. See you in a few weeks. Bye.